0: Welcome to Bridges Community Church, and whether you're joining us online or live in person, we would like to say thanks for joining us. And remember, it doesn't matter what you've been through in your life. It doesn't matter what you're struggling with or what you're going through right now. You are welcome here, and you are in the right place. We will begin our services in just a few moments. And as we prepare to enter into a time of worship, we would just like to say, we would love to connect with you. If you're new with us, head to bridges.info and let us know that you're here and we'll reach out this week and find out how we can be praying for you or how we can help get you connected to our community. Good morning and welcome to Bridges Community Church and thank you for worshiping with us this morning. It was great to see so many folks out at the beach last week as we had our annual beach worship service and we celebrated two baptisms together. That was awesome. Uh, And I know as we come into uh, church this morning, as we prepare to enter into into this time of worship, I know many of us are mourning the loss of uh, some dear brothers, uh, those who have gone to be with Jesus So as we uh, prepare to worship God, as we focus on the cross, as we focus on God the Creator, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let's turn our eyes to Him who is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Let's turn our hearts to Him who endured the cross to forgive us of our sins and let us fix our lives on Him who rose from the grave so that we may be drawn near to God, that we may have eternal life. Let's take a moment before we sing together and prepare for our worship. As I was driving in uh, to church this morning, um, a scripture was just playing over and over in my head. Uh, And I already hinted at it just a little bit when I I first uh, said welcome this morning, but I want to read it right now. And this is from Hebrews 12, beginning in verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The Lord is going to lead us in uh, a new hymn, a new hymn for us. And as we sing these next couple songs, this scripture just in the back of your mind looking to Jesus or as we said earlier uh, set our eyes on Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God if this song starts to become familiar as always please feel free to uh, sing along us, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God.
1: I'm so glad I learned to trust thee, precious Jesus, Savior, friend.
0: For the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's sing that refrain one more time, just our voices. Jesus, Jesus,
1: how I've proved him more and more. Jesus.
0: Together we say Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. And now we'll dismiss our elementary school students to join Miss Alba in the back.
2: Psalm 72, give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures, and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish, and peace abound till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy, and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually, and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land. On the tops of the mountains may it wave, May its fruit be like Lebanon, and may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever, his fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him, all nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen.
3: In, uh, in the Lord of the Rings novels, um, there, are, there are all different kind of creatures. Uh, there's elves, hobbits, ints, trolls, wizards, and men. Uh, And men, meaning humans, of course. Sorry, ladies, I didn't write the books. Uh, But men are divided into various kingdoms of men, um, some of which used to be united and are no longer, some of which are in good relations with one another, and some of which are not. And one of the reasons that uh, some of the kingdoms of men are not in good relations with each other, is because many different men each believe they have a legitimate claim to the throne that would unify some of the kingdoms. That's one reason. And of course, in addition to that, each kingdom believes that it should be the most prominent among the kingdoms of men. So all the kingdoms bicker and quarrel with each other basically over who's in charge. Uh, But no one can make a compelling enough case to convince the other ones, so they just stay divided to some degree, jockeying for power, each looking out for his own self-interest. They are suspicious of one another, sometimes greedy, enticed by promises of more power. It's what we so often see in the real world. Men have this great potential but they always seem to prioritize their own little piece of the pie, and they always try to steal a little bit of somebody else's. It's let me disadvantage you in order to try to advantage myself. That's men. And now, ladies, you're glad we left you out, aren't you? Uh, But in Lord of the Rings, there is one man who isn't out for himself, who isn't. Clamoring for power, who cares more for others and for the world than he cares for himself. Aragorn, son of Arathorn. In fact, he happens to be the rightful king of what used to be the United Kingdoms of Gondor and Arnor. Don't worry, there will not be a test on all of these names. But Aragorn uh, never makes a case for himself to be the king, even though he has a legitimate claim to the throne. Instead, of looking out for himself, he's busy helping others. When we first meet him, he's looking out for some of the smallest and most vulnerable in Middle Earth, the hobbits. Um, Aragorn, in fact, tells the hobbits, uh, he's only known them for a few minutes, but he tells them, if by life or death I can save you, I will. That's Aragorn. And then when he's in battle, he's right there in the front of it. He's not sitting up on the hill letting other people fight for him. He's out there in the thick of it. And when he has an opportunity to take for himself the special ring of power, uh, which everyone else has been fighting over, everyone else has been lying and scheming to try to get, every other man who has come in proximity to the special ring has compromised his integrity in some way to try to take the ring for himself. Um, But when Aragorn has that same opportunity, he refuses. He turns down the opportunity to have this special ring. He thinks the ring should be destroyed because of how much pain and suffering always results whenever anyone uses it. He understands power tends to corrupt, and absolute power, which is what the ring promises, corrupts absolutely. So he says, we need to destroy this thing instead of me taking it. He is totally the opposite from every other man in the story. And in the end, he is made king. He reunites the kingdoms of Gondor and Arnor. He reestablishes an alliance with Rohan. He puts back together everything that was broken by the corruption of his ancestors. And he does it by elevating others instead of elevating himself. He prioritizes the mission, and he prioritizes others. He does not prioritize himself. He seems to have zero self-interest, actually. That's Aragorn, son of Arathorn. It takes someone like that to bring healing to the land. Tolkien, who wrote the Lord of the Rings novels, uh, repeatedly writes throughout the third book, the hands of the true king bring healing. The true king will mend all the wounds caused by corruption and greed. And once the other men see the type of man Aragorn is, they all say, he's the one. He's the true king. It's not me. I am not the true king. I look at Aragorn's character, his integrity, his actions, his birthright. And then I look at mine. It's obvious. He's the one. He's the king. And I'm glad he's the king. Long live the king, the true king, the good king. At the end uh, of the books, and sorry for these spoilers, but the book was released in 1955. Okay, so if you haven't read it, that's on you. Um, At the end of these novels, everyone is happy that Aragorn is on the throne. Even the men who thought they had a claim to be the king, every man bows to Aragorn. They all say, I will follow this guy. They all say his kingdom should be the most prominent among all the kingdoms, because he's righteous where we weren't. He's selfless where we have been selfish. ish If you have someone like Aragorn in charge, of course everything's going to get better. And that's what we all want, isn't it? Someone like that in charge. We keep hoping our elected officials will be that leader, and they keep letting us down they always turn out to be just another child of man, susceptible to the lure of power. None of them are really Aragorn. Uh, someone like George Washington came close. Uh, that's why we're so well set up as a country, or one reason. But even him, you learn he had slaves, and you're like, "What?" I guess Washington always wasn't always self-sacrificing for the benefit of others. I mean, most of the time he was, most of the time. Not quite always. Um, but even though we've never had an Aragorn ruling our country or any country, there is something in our hearts that knows there is a true Aragorn out there, one to whom we would all freely follow who would have so much character and integrity and willingness to sacrifice his own self-interest that we would say, yeah, this is the one. This is the king. This is the true king. We have a longing for that kind of leader in our hearts. And at the same time, we all know that we aren't that leader. The psalmist in Psalm 72, who is a king... It's either King David or King Solomon. Some commentators uh, debate about that. I'd say David. But either way, uh, the psalmist is a king of Israel. But he wrote Psalm 72 like, as a prayer for God to provide this kind of leader in the future. You can tell because the psalmist keeps referring to this future king as he As in someone other than himself, may he rule with righteousness, may he help people flourish. The psalmist doesn't say, may I have a good reign, which is amazing, isn't it? It means whichever king wrote this knows he is not the special king that the world needs. Even though he's like currently sitting on the throne as king, he says, I'm not the true king that we all need. That guy is yet to come. And I want him to come. I'm praying for him to come. And when he comes, I will bow with everyone else. But it's not me. It's incredible for a king to admit that. I wish our leaders would admit that. The guy who is yet to come, the king of whom the psalm is written, is, is who scripture refers to as the Messiah, the Savior, the One. This psalm is considered messianic uh, because it so clearly looks forward to the reign of the good king who will bring healing and restoration to everything that is broken. So, as we look at this messianic psalm today, we will see the Messiah's relationship to the poor, to kings, to prosperity, and to God. The Messiah's relationship to the poor, to kings, to prosperity, And to God. So, first, the Messiah's relationship to the poor. He defends and delivers them. The Messiah defends and delivers the poor. Verse 2 May he, the Messiah, judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Verse 4 May he defend the cause of the poor, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. Verse 12 For he delivers the needy when they call the poor and him who has no helper. Verse 13, he has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. Verse 14, from oppression and violence, he redeems their lives. The Messiah defends and delivers the poor. Now we may ask, what's so special about the poor? Why does he defend them? Why not everyone? Answer, Because the poor can't defend themselves. It's verse 12, him who has no helper. The poor have no helper, so they need defending. If they are going to get justice, so if, okay, if, 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 meaning it doesn't always happen, but if they have been the victim of injustice, which we all are from time to time, but not all the time, they will need someone to advocate for them. The powerful, on the other hand, don't need someone to advocate for them. They can take care of themselves. So the psalm isn't saying that the poor are, all, are always right and the powerful are always wrong. Uh, that's not true. That's not what this says. In fact, verse 2 says the good king will judge people, will all people with righteousness. So, so everyone has to answer for our actions, poor and powerful alike. The poor don't get a pass because they're poor. Poverty is not a virtue. Power isn't a virtue either. But if the poor or the needy or the powerless are going to get justice in the world, especially in the time period when this is written, someone needs to stand up for them, especially in when this was written. But that's the case even today. The powerless need an advocate. If you don't believe me, if you're like, everyone gets the same fair chance in this country, if you don't believe me, okay, have you ever felt like... uh, An insurance company was being unfair to you. You had a $30,000 car that was in an accident, but now the insurance company is only going to give you $6,000 to replace your $30,000 car. And you said, wait a minute, the car is worth 30. You only gave me six. Like, you're 24 short there. And the insurance company says, no, we think your car is only worth six, and we have an army of lawyers to prove our case. What are you going to do? You're stuck, right? Can you hire an army of lawyers yourself that are going to be better than theirs? That's going to cost more than 24k. So you do the math, and you say, I could fight for justice, but if I do, I'm going to be worse off than I am now, so I'll just deal with it. And that's today. Even with our laws, even with those of us with resources, that's today. So imagine how difficult it would be if you didn't have resources. This still happens. The amount of power you have is correlated, not causal, but correlated to the amount of justice you get. It's always been that way. Better now than it has been in the past, but it's still that way. The powerful, like the insurance company, Typically, they either get justice for themselves or they take a little bit more than what is fair because they can. While the powerless, the poor, are often at the mercy of the powerful. And if the powerful have integrity, the poor will get justice. If they don't, it's harder for the poor to get justice. I mean, the insurance company might reimburse you what your car is worth. They might do that or they might not. It's really kind of their choice. They certainly aren't going to give you more than your car is worth, but it's up to them because they are the ones that have power. It's why the poor need an advocate and the powerful don't. It's why the Messiah defends the needy, but not those with power or influence. Why did Aragorn protect the hobbits, but he didn't protect protect Gandalf, who's this powerful wizard? It's not because the hobbits were somehow more deserving of protection. It's because Gandalf can take care of himself, doesn't need a defender. So the Messiah defends the poor and delivers the poor because they need a defender, a deliverer. I give you the examples of, uh, of insurance company or hobbits um, because with them, it's easy for us to see the need for an advocate, right? It's easy to see the injustice and we get it. We're like, oh yeah, somebody needs to help them out. But with other vulnerable groups in our own community or around the world, it might be less obvious who needs help and how to step in to protect or advocate for them. The, the factory worker in a third world nation who is making $1 a day. But that factory worker is making 10 times as much as anyone else in the same community. So, comparatively, $1 a day is a great opportunity. But in absolute terms, it's terrible. It's terrible. How do we advocate for them? Or is it actually everyone else in that third world country that needs an advocate? Or is it both? What would a good king do? I'm not proposing like anything with that example. In fact, I don't know the precise answer. But I know it's something that needs to be fixed. And I know it's something the Messiah will fix. And it's something we need to ask we need to think about, that we need to work toward if we're going to be on the side of the Messiah? What about the school system that lacks resources? What would a good king do? What do they need, right? They are poor. What do we do for them? How do we advocate for them? If you don't know, go ask. They'll tell you. But here's the thing, don't ask something like, don't ask the under-resourced school something like, how does the system need to change? Don't ask that, because you can't change the system. Unless you can change the system, then ask that, but you probably can't. Ask them what you can do. Talking about how the system needs to change allows us to just pass responsibility to someone else instead of doing something ourselves. It lets us off the hook if we just talk about the system. So don't don't focus on the system. Focus on what you specifically will do. If there is any vulnerable group anywhere that has your heart, and there should be, the vulnerable should be on your heart if you are a Christian. If you don't already know how to help, go ask. Because they will have an acute awareness of what needs to be done. If the insurance company wasn't being fair to you and someone asked you how can i help you'd immediately answer you'd say do you know anyone who works at that insurance company who can help me file an appeal do you know a lawyer who can fight for me for like the price of me cooking them a dinner because that's all i can afford like you know exactly what you need in order to get justice and you could tell someone in a quarter of a second if they asked So, if there's a group that you want to help, and again, there should be, but you can't see how, just ask. They'll tell you, and then you need to be willing to do it. Okay, the Messiah defends and delivers the poor. Second, the Messiah's relationship to kings. They all bow. They all bow. All kings bow to the Messiah. Verse 8, the Messiah has dominion from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. Verse 9, may desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. Verse 10, may the kings of Tarshish in the coastland render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. Verse 11, may all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. It's the whole earth. It's faraway nations, it's powerful nations, it's enemies, it's friends, it's everyone. They all bow to this king. Some of them bow in celebration. Some of them bow licking the dust. But they all bow. If it were today, we'd say China and the U.S. and the E.U. and Russia and Antarctica, they all bow. That's the Messiah. And it's what the New Testament claims about Jesus. Jesus. Philippians 2, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Revelation 21, 24, all the kings of the earth bring their glory to Jesus. And even though those are future, yet-to-be-fulfilled depictions of Jesus, we actually see glimpses of the entire world bowing to Jesus in the New Testament while he's here on earth. Matthew Matthew 8, 27, the wind and the waves obey him. Jesus commands a storm with a simple shh. A whole hurricane stops and disappears. So nature bows to him. His enemies bow to him. Demons cower and shudder. Matthew 8, Luke 4, James 2. Even just at the name of Jesus, demons submit. Luke 10, 17. Jesus doesn't even have to be there for his enemies to freeze in their tracks. They fall. And they lick the dust, if it were following that metaphor from the, uh, from the psalm. There is no question that Jesus is in charge. He has evil on a leash, and nature itself submits to him. And one day, all kings, all kingdoms, everywhere, all of us, the whole world will bow. There is a lot of talk today about being on the right side of history. The right side of history is Jesus, because we are all going to bow to him, every one of us. Now, we each have a choice, whether we bow to him as as the king that we love and call our savior, we can bow to him like that, or we can bow to him like the demons did, licking the dust with their shrieks when he casts them out. It's up to each one of us how we will bow. But we will all bow. All right, that's the Messiah's relationship to kings. They all bow to Messiah Jesus. Next, the Messiah's relationship to prosperity. He provides impossible abundance. The Messiah provides impossible abundance. Verse 3 Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. Verse 16 May there be an abundance of grain in the land. On the tops of mountains may it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon. And may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. Uh, The Psalmist intentionally describes the prosperity provided by the Messiah in terms of a harvest that no earthly king can ever produce. Specifically, he says that grain and fruit will grow on tops of mountains. Verse 16, on tops of mountains. I don't know if you've been to the top of a mountain recently, uh, but grain and fruit do not grow on tops of mountains. Um, As it would so happen, uh, a few of us from bridges climbed to the top of Mount Whitney, this past week. On Wednesday, no big deal, up and back in one day, tallest peak in the continental United States, we made it to the top and returned safely. Um, It was our worship pastor, Nate, and his wife, Casey, um, and Laura, who was just singing a minute ago, Tate Durand, Steve's son, and myself. We all made it to the top, we all made it back, in one day, praise God. Um, Thanks, I was expecting some applause. I mean, why... (laughs) Why else do you brag on yourself if people are not going to clap, right? I'm just excited to have an excuse to tell this story. Uh, but here's a picture of a mountain peak that we saw during our hike. It's not, the, it's, not the, it's not Mount Whitney. It's a mountain peak. Oh, no, as we were hiking up. That's beautiful, isn't it? It's stunning. But you notice there's no wheat up there. There's no fruit trees. There's no figs, there's no plums, there's no harvest. Nothing grows up there. It's barren. But the psalmist says, when the real king comes, even the desolate places will produce a rich harvest. So this is a future event. This is not now. This is not follow Jesus and get rich. This is a picture that when he comes as king, creation itself including the mountain peaks, will express their joy that Messiah has arrived, and they will spring forth with life. Barren corners of the earth will bloom, produce an overabundance of blessing, provision, because the king is here. And no earthly king can pull that off. It's the Messiah who will provide an impossible abundance. Now lastly, let's talk about who this king is. We've already said it's Jesus, but who is Jesus? What is the Messiah's relationship to God? The Messiah is God. Jesus is God. Throughout Psalm 72, it switches back and forth uh, between referring to this king and referring to God, and it does it so often that it's easy to lose track of which one he's talking about when. And the psalmist says things about this king, this Messiah, that can only be said about God. Verse 8, may he have dominion over everything. Verse 5 and verse 17, he says, may the king's name last forever as long as the sun. May the days of the king be throughout all generations, forever and ever. His reign will have no end. Only God has that kind of kingdom. This Messiah, this king who is yet to come, is God himself. And of course, that is how Jesus referred to himself throughout his entire ministry. John 8, Jesus refers to himself as the I am, which is the name of God. If you remember when Moses asked God, God, what's your name? God says, I am who I am which is Yahweh in Hebrew, and Jesus refers to himself with that name in John 8, and everyone loses their minds. In Luke 10, Jesus says that he saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Totally nonchalant, Jesus says, yeah, I was there in heaven when Satan fell. Who can say that? Matthew 23, Jesus says, I send you prophets. I'm the one who sends prophets to Israel. Who sends prophets except God? And directly relevant to our discussion today um, of a king, of a king, who looked forward to the king, in Matthew 22, Jesus points out to the religious leaders that the Messiah must be more than simply David's descendant because David calls the Messiah Lord. Lord. Jesus quotes from Psalm 110, but it's very similar to our psalm today because it's an example of of a king referring to the king. And Jesus asked them, if David calls the Messiah Lord, how can the Messiah be only simply his son or his descendant? Because that would never happen in an ancient monarchy. The dad was always Lord, not the son nor any descendant following after the dad. Uh, The son might become king during the season when dad's health is kind of declining, but even then, dad would never call the son Lord. The son, even if he had control over the entire kingdom, would still bow to his father. It's not the other way around, ever. So Jesus points out, David calls the Messiah Lord. How could that be if he's his son, if he's only his son? Jesus says he's got to be way more than David's son. Because David bows to him, which is exactly what happens in the psalm we're studying today. It's either David or Solomon wrote about this future king, and the future king would have to be their descendant because it's only David's descendants who are kings. But at the same time, this descendant has abilities, has authority that make it impossible for him to be only David's descendant. So he has to be much more than David was, than Solomon was, and he is. Jesus is God himself. Who else could administer perfect justice? No one. Because even the best justice system isn't going to be able to set all the wrongs right. Even the best justice system doesn't have the power to hold every criminal accountable. Even the best justice system doesn't have the knowledge to know every nuance in every case. You need omniscience and omnipotence to have perfect justice. Jesus alone will do that. Who else could compel the entire world and its most powerful leaders to bow? Even the stubborn ones, even the most prideful, even the most evil are going to fall to their knees before him. Who could do that but God alone? Who else can provide the kind of prosperity that defies our natural, our natural order of how things currently are? Who else could make the mountain peaks bloom and cause fruit to roll down like streams? The Messiah is God, Jesus is God. Jesus fulfilled this psalm in some ways when he was on earth. Jesus will fulfill this psalm in other ways when he returns as king. And at the same time, Jesus turned all the expectations of this psalm on their head with his crucifixion. Because in in addition to administering perfect justice, he took our punishment that perfect justice would demand By dying in our place on the cross. Instead of people bowing to him, he allowed them to crucify him. Instead of gaining the glory of the nations, he was humiliated, stripped naked, and beaten. But he did all of that in order to redeem us. He gave up his title so we could have one. He carried the weight of the world, the weight of all the pain that we cause. He bore our sin on the cross, and then he rose to life again in victory over our evils and their penalty. And that's why he's worthy to sit on the throne. If you don't know him as your king, surrender to him today. You will never find a better, more sacrificial leader. No one else can set it all right. It's him, it's him alone. He is the true king, and you can either worship him or be cast out by him when he comes to reign, but either way, he's coming, and he is the unquestionable right side of history. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for being so good. Thank you for being worthy of all of our praise and worship and allegiance and effort And at the same time, you gave up all of that to carry our sin for us, making you even more worthy of our allegiance and worship, Lord. We ask that we would surrender to you today. And we, like the psalmist, look forward to the day when you will return and you will set all the wrongs right and you will bring an impossible abundance and we will all bow to you. Um, our our king our lord and our god Uh, we pray those things in jesus name amen well one of the symbols that uh, jesus gave the church um, in order to remind us throughout all the ages of the church of what he did for us on the cross is communion Um, and at bridges we traditionally celebrate communion on on the first sunday of every month Um, at bridges we do not believe that communion is what Forgives you, uh, we believe what communion symbolizes is what forgives us. Jesus' death in our place on the cross, taking the guilt, um, taking our guilt, taking our sin, taking the penalty for it, standing in our place, being our substitute to free us um, from from the wrath that we deserve because of what we have done. Um, and that is what communion reminds us of, Jesus shed blood um, and body broken for each one of us so just in a second um, we have ushers at different stations around the room and you can get up and make your way there um, and then you can come back to your seat and we will all take communion together i'll walk back up here um, and we'll all take it uh, as one uh, church family On the night he was betrayed, Jesus had one final meal with his disciples, and at the end of the meal, um, he took the bread, um, and he said, this is my body given for you. And then he took the cup, and he said, this is my blood of the New Testament poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. As often as you eat this bread or drink This cup, do it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the lasting symbol of communion to remind us of what Jesus did um, in our place on the cross, taking our uh, guilt and our sin and our shame that we may be free um, and live in unhindered uh, relationship with you forever and ever. Um, Pray we'll hold these in our heart as we go through this week and month and the rest of our lives. We pray those things in Jesus' name. Amen.
4: The rich
5: so much for being with us today. If you're a newcomer or a long-timer or somewhere in between, uh, there are a couple immediate next steps that each of us can be made aware of and reminded of to help us to stay connected to what God is doing here in the life of the church, as well as to resonate with the things that have happened in today's uh, service. And I just want to point out those two ways to you, one of which is at bridges.info. You'll find a variety of links that are there. We tell you about this every week, and even our longtime folks can go to Bridges.info, and you're going to find new things there all the time because we update this page about activities and ways to get connected here in the life of the church. Specifically, I want to remind you all that tithes and offerings and uh, financial giving can be done at Bridges.info securely. If you don't want to do it that way, we have boxes as you leave that are attached to the wall, and those are secure, and you can give Uh, in that way as well, but those links are at bridges.info. You're also going to find a link to service opportunities. Uh, I know that the uh, good folks from Much Hope uh, just had a a beautiful gathering and backpack back to school kinds of things that they have been doing to serve, and that was put uh, on that Uh, service opportunities page at bridges.info. You'll find other links there as well, ways to to serve our community and to love our neighbor. Thank you, Sujana, and a much hope for putting that uh, event together this weekend. You'll also find a way to interact with us as pastors. You may have questions or thoughts in connection with Pastor Dan's message, today, and he would love to hear those. And we do our best as pastors to respond to the questions that you all send us, and you'll find a link to do that at bridges.info. And later on in the week, we try to address one or more of those uh, questions in a video that we send out. And that leads to another way to get connected here, and that is to our newsletter. Uh, If you are part of our mailing list or newsletter. You will get weekly updates, sometimes multiple updates. We try not to inundate your inbox, but we do want to keep you all informed of what is going on. And if you're not on our mailing list, and then you're most likely not getting the link to the sermon videos that we do at the end of the week where we answer questions. You're most likely not aware of some of the things that have happened during the course of the week, and so we want to help connect you in that way. So please let us know uh, if you'd like to be added to that list, one of the things I do want to let you know is that all summer long, and really all this year, if you didn't know, we just have, it seems like every week or just about every other week, just dear brothers and sisters in Christ who are passing away. We had just a couple days ago, if you've not heard, our dear brother John Atwell uh, went to be with the Lord, 96 years old, a good and faithful servant. Every time we have one of the the services or Uh, like a memorial service or a funeral service like we did on Friday for our brother Andy Miller. We try to put those things in the newsletter. If you want to know about those kinds of things, uh, you can look at those things at the newsletter. You'll also find, again, links and ways to get connected. We want everybody here at the church in a group Uh, that can help you to grow in your faith. We want to know how we can best serve you and how you can help to use your gifts and abilities to further the ministry here uh, at Bridges Community Church. So thanks so much for your interest and your partnership and your support. As you leave today, you're gonna see a table out there that's gonna give more information about uh, signups for our uh, new semester of the children's choirs. And so um, there's just things happening around here on campus. If we can answer any questions that you have, pray for you in some way. Please don't hesitate to let us know. Let me just close this in a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for the reminder of the King who has come. He's ruling over all things, even when it feels like he's not ruling, Lord. He is ruling. And we, Lord, should be reminded, and I pray that you would remind us this week that one day every knee will bow And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord and King. And I pray that we would willingly surrender in this life, knowing that we will be joining our dear loved ones who have passed in recent days, who are now celebrating by your side. Lord, we rejoice with them in that. And Lord, that will be hopefully all of us one day. Lord, I pray that we would put our hope and trust in Jesus alone. Lord, as we move into this week, we pray that you would draw us near to you, open our eyes to the needs of the poor and the needy around us, Lord, that we would give and give generously and serve as Jesus did, Lord. Thank you so much for a relationship with us that you make possible. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great rest of your day.